PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the Crick Cast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Craig. Hello, this is Becky Craig, and I would like to welcome you to the July issue of Physical Therapy. Before we get started reviewing content, I'd just like to make a couple of comments. I ask you to look at the editorial because it introduces new members of the editorial board and unfortunately says goodbye to some outstanding members of the editorial board. Josh Cleland, Carolyn Patton, Mike Landry, Kathleen Klein, Mangione, and Diane Jetty are all leaving the editorial board, but Darcy Reisman, Leo Costa, Janet Freeberger, and Jay Ergang are joining the editorial board. So it's a time of change. If we look at the contents of the July issue, I think the theme that certainly stands out is measurement, reliability studies on a variety of different measures. So as a clinician, if there are particular patient types for whom you don't have measurement, you may find something useful in this issue. The first paper by Maris Fortin and Luciano Macedo is entitled Multifidus and Paraspinal Muscle Group Cross-Sectional Areas of Patients with Low Back Pain and Control Patients, a Systematic Review with a Focus on Blinding. The literature suggests that there is a difference in the size of the paraspinal muscles in persons with chronic low back pain compared to control subjects and that they're smaller, and there's no difference in paraspinal musculature diameter in persons with and without low back pain if the low back pain is acute. The suggestion in the study is that the presence of chronic low back pain is associated with smaller paraspinal musculature on the relevant side of the body. Now, this doesn't mean that, therefore, you should strengthen muscle and everything is going to be fine. This is a descriptive study. It's not a cause and effect. But there is evidence to support an anatomical difference in persons with chronic low back pain compared to controls. The next study is entitled Comparison of Health-Related Quality of Life, Work Status, and Healthcare Utilization and Costs According to Hip and Knee Joint Disease Severity. These are results from a national Australian study. The bottom line of this study is that physical therapy services were used infrequently, but primary care and orthopedic surgeon services were much higher in the persons who had symptoms compared to those who were asymptomatic. The next paper is entitled Measurement Properties of the High-Level Mobility Assessment Tool, or HIMAT, for mild traumatic brain injury. The HIMAT is already used with persons who have traumatic brain injury but has not been tested in those with mild traumatic brain injury. And I think certainly with all the emphasis most recently on concussion, we're looking for tools that are sensitive. So if you're treating persons with mild traumatic brain injury, you might find this study to be of use in clinical practice. The next study is entitled Italian Version of the Physical Therapy Patient Satisfaction Questionnaire, Cross-Cultural Adaptation and Psychometric Properties. 
the American version of the Physical Therapy Patient Satisfaction Questionnaire was developed in 2000. The purpose of this study was to translate the PTPSQ into Italian and to see whether it was an appropriate tool to look at patient satisfaction. In addition to testing the tool and finding that it is useful under most circumstances in Italy, the authors do an excellent job in the introduction talking about what it means to measure patient satisfaction. The next article entitled Building the Research Capacity of Clinical Physical Therapists Using a Participatory Action Research Approach is really exciting because it has a happy ending. The purpose of this study was to help identify pathways for clinical physical therapists to engage in research. Some of the physical therapists decided they were not interested in engaging in research. Some became actively engaged in research. And some just are more informed about clinical practice because of this experience. If you are a research scientist interested in working with clinicians on a research project, this study might give you some good ideas as well. The next study is entitled Reliability of Isometric Lower Extremity Muscle Strength Measurements in Children with Cerebral Palsy, Implications for Measurement Design. This is a very small study that looks at the reliability of handheld dynamometry to measure muscle strength in children with cerebral palsy. Basically, the authors have concluded with a small sample that handheld dynamometry is reliable. There's certainly been a long-standing debate about whether or not muscle strength or force-generating capacity can be measured in children with cerebral palsy. The authors suggest that it can be using a simple tool like handheld dynamometry. So I hope that both clinicians and scientists will find this reliability study of interest. The next study is addressing the reliability and minimal detectable change of physical performance measures in individuals with pre-manifest and manifest Huntington disease. Huntington disease is a progressive neurologic disease, and traditionally there have not been measurement tools used to describe physical performance. So these authors looked at a number of physical performance measures that are traditionally used by many physical therapists with many types of patients to see which measurement tool may be reliable and useful in predicting function. So I encourage you to look at the study if you're treating persons with Huntington disease. The next study by Louise Johnson and her colleagues is entitled Internal and External Focus of Attention During Gait Reeducation an observational study of physical therapist practice in stroke rehabilitation. So the purpose of this study was to examine the way physical therapists provide feedback during gait rehabilitation. Okay, so I say gait training. In the introduction, the authors define an internal focus versus an external focus on movement. The authors concluded in analyzing videotaped sessions of patients and physical therapists, that physical therapists more frequently encourage patients to be aware of their movements or an internal focus rather than on the performance, the goal that was to be achieved. If you go in and look at current literature on motor learning, this feedback on internal performance rather than achieving the goal may hinder or retard the rate of learning a new behavior. 
So I think the authors are raising some really interesting questions in this study. The next study by Olaf Verschuren and his colleagues from the Netherlands is entitled Reproducibility and Validity of a 10-Meter Shuttle Ride Test in Wheelchair Using Children and Adolescents with Cerebral Palsy. The authors compare the current gold standard, which is a graded arm exercise test, to this 10-meter shuttle ride test and suggest that the 10-meter shuttle ride test is a more appropriate stressor for the cardiorespiratory system. So basically, the authors are challenging the gold standard of the graded upper extremity test. The next study is entitled Physical Therapists Establish Intensive Care Unit Early Mobilization Program, Quality Improvement Project for Critical Care at the University of California, San Francisco Medical Center. This is a really nice study that follows up on the December 2012 and February 2013 series of articles related to critical care patients. As one would expect, what the authors are reporting is that if the physical therapist is involved earlier in the ICU stay, the discharge of the patients from the ICU is sooner. For those of you who missed the session in San Diego where a panel discussed some of the special issue features related to the role of physical therapy in critical care, an audio recording has just been released from CSM that you might find useful. The next paper by Peter Grant Osmotherly and his colleagues from the University of Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia, is entitled Toward Understanding Normal Craniocervical Rotation Occurring During the Rotation Stress Test for the Aller Ligaments. Again, for those of you who are interested in documenting cervical motion, the authors suggest that the range of craniocervical rotation during the stress test for Aller Ligaments is typically 21 degrees or less. The sample size is small, but for those of you who are looking for a within-normal-limit number, this is a beginning. The last paper in the July issue of PTJ is my personal favorite. This paper is entitled, Alzheimer's Disease Alters the Relationship of Cardiorespiratory Fitness with Brain Activity During the Stroop Task. As many of you know, Alzheimer's disease is a devastating disease of the older adult, There is lots of wonderful evidence to suggest that exercise retards the normal aging process that occurs in the brain. One of the findings that the authors report is that if you consider persons without Alzheimer's disease, there is a relationship between cardiorespiratory fitness and activation patterns of very specific regions in the brain. That relationship did not exist in the persons with Alzheimer's disease. So what they're interested in knowing now is if they provide a very involved intervention, will they be able to change that non-relationship? Lots of work needs to be done, but this is a great beginning. And I would like to conclude with the fact that Dr. Vidani received a new investigator fellowship training initiative award from the foundation, and some of the work that's presented is because of support of the Foundation for Physical Therapy. So... In conclusion, the July issue should offer a great study that you will find exciting. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org and be sure to include 
Cast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.